it was like the, I didn't even want to talk about mechanics. I was like, okay, this is what I want. I want something that I can create characters for any settings. I want it to be extremely focused on like what the characters are doing. And I want everyone to be able to pick it up and play it easily because I don't want to be bothered with mechanics. I don't want it to be crunchy. I want it to like, how can we always come back to the fiction? We, of course, start by hearing RP's origin story, and it's one we've never heard before on the show. He explains his system charge, which was inspired by a video game, and I love his concept of table momentum. RP taking software development conventions and applying them to creating RPGs will interest some of my fellow software geeks. And his new game, Stoneburner, is on Kickstarter now, as we release this episode. It is a solo-friendly TTRPG of demon hunting and community building in a dwarven asteroid mine. We talk a lot about where the ideas for this game originated. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with RP. You stand over the dead bodies of all the demons you just slayed in this room without breaking a sweat only to discover that the door is locked. Okay, you roll lockpicking. Ooh, no, okay, um, how about you roll strength to break it down? Uh, um, that's a fail too. Uh, you're stuck. Crap. Hi, I'm Caitlin Bruder. And I'm Kristen O'Neill, and you're watching Disney Channel. (laughs) (laughs) And when we're not making Thin Places Radio, we are listening to Tabletop Talk. See you there. Okay, well, perfect. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Got it, (laughs) one. Howdy, friends. Craig here. Today, I'm talking to RP Diegelena, owner of Fari RPGs, an independent game design studio based in Quebec, Canada, focusing on action-packed, fiction-driven, and accessible gaming experiences. He's the designer behind the open, licensed, and generic system Charge, the community-favorite condensed survival horror game Breathless, and the most recent Metroidvania-inspired solo game Firelights. RP, welcome to Third Floor. Thank you so much for having me. Um, we got a lot to cover. Um, and <laughs> I feel like, and this happens every once in a while, where I'll have somebody on the show like we've never met before, but I feel like we've been interacting so much on Twitter for the past year or two that I'm like, it's this is like, like, yes, yeah, so I need to hang out with RP now because like we've been doing it for a year and a half. <laughs> but I've been really looking forward to it because I think what you're making is super interesting. And we're going to get to all of that. But you got to endure the first question you get on every stupid podcast you've agreed to go on. But I like to frame it a little bit different, RP. So at one point, you knew nothing about this hobby. You knew nothing about role playing. You knew nothing about characters and dice and playing pretend and that it was put in front of you for the first time can we go back there uh, yeah we most certainly can um yeah so uh i think the first time i was introduced to like ttrpgs in general was uh, with uh dnd 3.5 edition um i was in high school and there was like a, a club and i had joined this this little club and when I, I was like so excited, like I live on the south shore of Montreal, so I went to like the big city, quote unquote, to like <laughs> buy some dice and buy some figurines and all of that. And I was super excited to play because I was with some friends and whatever. There were other people I didn't know uh, that we played with. So first session, it was during like lunchtime, and uh, I arrive. We make our characters very quickly. I, I don't remember. I have a very bad memory, but. What I remember is that we started playing and then a person that uh, was at the table 
uh, when we we started, like, oh, the the GM was like, okay, you you enter this dungeon, and then there's like a you you hear a couple of skeletons in the background and whatever. So we're like, okay, well, we're gonna start walking, and then a player at the table is like, hey, can I take RP's character and just like, um, how can I say this? He basically forced my character to like not not move and then he threw a noil lamp at me and watched me burn to be able to take my money and then i never touched a single ttrpg for like 15 years i bet what an awful experience and like what was that gm doing like oh my gosh and it's fun you know what's funny about that rp i've always secondhand heard those stories i think this is the first time i've heard like that type of horror story first person. So like you were all excited. You're, you're going to go check this out. And like, how did you end up coming back? So like you, you walk away from that experience. I would imagine going, that's terrible. And I never want to do that again. Oh yeah. No, like I really didn't have fun. Like I, I left like 15 minutes in, I left and I was like, okay, I don't think this is for me. I don't know why people like this. Um, (laughs) I think like when I came back, there was uh, I had a, a friend who was talking to me about uh, an RPG called uh, Mythic, and he was like, "Oh, this is a cool because you can play by yourself, and you have like this GM emulator." I'm like, "Okay, this is interesting." Then he was like, "I'm also reading this uh, cool book called, called uh, Blades in the Dark, and like the settings very cool." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, yeah, this 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 seems interesting." So um, started talking a bit more about uh, this with my friend, and then I was like, "Well, maybe I can check out what other RPGs there are. There are obviously there." probably aren't just about killing your your colleagues uh, at the beginning of the game. So um, that's uh, where I discovered the Fate RPG system by Evil nice. So that was my basically my first introduction into like my reintroduction into the hobby was Fate. So I discovered Fate Accelerated, Fate Core, then Fate Condense was released uh, like I think a year later after I discovered Fate in general. And then I was like, okay, this is the kind of thing I like. Because this was this wasn't about the map. This wasn't crunchy. It was all about the fiction. And it was just about having fun, creating a cool setting together. You could play in any setting. That was like, okay, this is fun. I don't I don't want to be killed in a dungeon by my friends. I want to play cool sci-fi settings and, and yeah. things like that. So I really got hooked there. And then this this all like started uh, going from from that point. So let, let's go back to that first session of fate, right? So you, you've returned back. Um, you, it sounds like you had a little bit of faith that this was going to be a different experience. Do you remember a moment at that table when it like it all clicked for you and you're like, yeah, I want to do this and I want to do this a lot. Um, do you remember what happened that made it like totally reverse your awful experience from a decade and a half before? Well, it's tricky because I had never GM'd before, right? And oh. I had never played a TTRPG before. So like, ex- except from that experience, I was, I was really starting from scratch, just from like the things that I had read in the book. So that first session was actually very hard for me because I, Interesting. like n- nothing survives an encounter with the player, right? You've heard that before. So that was, I had a bunch of things planned out in my head. And then when we when we started playing, I was like, oh, there's like this this person, they're crying near this fountain. And then my players were like, oh, I'm going to ignore them because I don't care about this person. I'm just going to move forward. I'm like, OK, well, that's that's something I've learned now. <laughs> so, yeah, like the, the first the first session was I think I think it clicked because I like I like getting good at something. I like ah. to learn. Right. So I realized a bunch of things that I had done wrong. 
And then I retook the book and then started listening to actual play podcasts. And then I was like, okay, I need to understand why that didn't, why that didn't go as planned, why that wasn't as fun as I anticipated. It was obviously me, the problem, because I was the one who like organized this whole thing. So there was, there was, uh, yeah, like I think it clicked because I wanted to get better. So let's imagine RP that I uh, sit down um, in a corner somewhere and watch you GM today. And then I said, okay, uh, I've watched RPGM. Uh, he's got his own way of running a game now. I bet I can figure out all the different puzzle pieces that have put together his style of GMing. Where do you think I would go? Are there certain role-playing games? Are there certain podcasts? Are there certain books or anything? Like, where did you end up today as far as how you run games? Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I think I think most definitely you'll feel influences from from fate. That's for sure. Uh, also, like uh, Blades in the Dark was a huge inspiration in giving a lot of liberty to the players and just mm. basically forgetting planning whatsoever. Like I, I don't plan my games anymore. I don't prep anything. And I'm just like, if if you want to introduce a new NPC in the game, I'm going to ask you to name them because I like I if if you want to do it, that's fine. But the the taking the responsibility of of GMing off of the GM's shoulder and make make it more make it more like a collaborative writing experience. This is something that uh, I I learned from from games like Fate, from from games like Blades in the Dark. Um, but yeah, like I think those were like the two major influences. Then in terms of like podcasts, I was a big fan of um, uh, The Adventure Zone. Oh like, yeah. I, I, I love their uh, D&D series. I also uh, listened to their Monster of the Week show, which was, which was also very good. And then um, I also listened to Dungeons and Daddies, which was simply hilarious as, as a show. And I think like this, this is a vibe that I love to bring at my table. I like to make things like... I've tried playing very harsh games with my players with like, we tried playing Fate of Cthulhu for a lot of sessions. And then at some point the players were like, well, we love Lovecraft. Well, not Lovecraft, but we love like this, this genre, but we kind of want to make it funky. And like, okay, well, let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's just have fun. <laughs> so now RP, I, I GM, I run games. I've, uh, I've played the games that you've talked about. Uh, so you and I share that, right? But something we don't share is I have never had a desire to design a game. So I'd be curious, when did that itch start? When did you start going, I think I want to make something? Or was there a problem you were trying to solve? Like, where's the origin of you as a creator just beyond the table? Um, it's It started actually with Fate of Cthulhu because I had played Fate with my friends and we would just play uh, Fate Fate Core, Fate Condense or whatever and just like use the core mechanics and it did the job. And then when I read Fate Core, it was the first time I didn't uh, hadn't read a lot of uh, RPG books at the time. And this was one of the first time I was exposed to like, this is Fate, but there are other things that exist to reinforce a specific theme, a specific genre, a specific experience. So um, when when I read this, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like there are there are like additional rules in there, but it's still the same system. So um, I started learning more about the fate extras, which is like uh, which are additional rules, like the fate uh, system toolkits and all of that. That uh, evil had us launched over the years. So I went through all of that, and then I started picking a couple of those systems and and using them into my own games. But I didn't design them. I just 
picked them because just to reinforce things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, e- eventually I was like, uh, as I was reading Blades in the Dark, I um, liked a bunch of things in that system. I liked a bunch of things in Fate. And I was like, maybe I can try to mix them together. And that was basically the beginning of like this this design journey was me like, okay, I've played a bit with extras. I, I love Fate of Blades in the Dark. Can, can I try to mix things up and see if my players like it? <laughs> so I'm going to give you a, a bit of a cliched question, but I think it's interesting, especially considering your path. So now you've made several things, right? But let's pretend you can take a half sheet of paper and whatever you write on there, we'll go back in time to when you first started this process. So if you could go back and talk to RP X number of months and years ago, what just when you started this process, what do you think you'd tell yourself? What do you think? You, you, oh, mm, uh, I, I think, I think, damn, I, I'm really not sure. <laughs> okay. um, what, what would previous me tell to future me? That's, that's... No, what is today you, oh. if you had the opportunity to go back and say, hey, RP, you're, you're about to go on quite a journey here. Let me just tell you two things that it's going to make your life a little bit better or easier as you go through this. Okay, now I understand. Um, I would say um, work with your community. Like, mm. um, like I, th- I think having a community with you, not just your players, but people are online who are passionate about this hobby and are curious about what you're making and working with them is like one of the most wonderful feeling. Like I think building this relationship yeah. between you and a group of people is like absolutely like fantastic. And the, the other thing is to, um, I think it would be to not. Yeah, like to just design things to reinforce themes. It took me a while to actually understand that to just like, because you can, you can like, you've heard this, uh, sentence a lot. Like you can use the ND5e to do absolutely everything. And like to a certain extent, it's true, but I like this current period, this current era where like designers are developing very, very specific experiences that reinforce specific genres of, 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 of media and themes. And this is, this is where I think the, most of the fun is. And it took me a while to actually realize that. That was a big, big revelation for me when I came back to the ho- the hobby RP, because that didn't exist when I uh, was a kid playing. Right. So there was D&D, there was GURPS, there was champions. If you wanted to, you know, uh, there wasn't really systems designed to do exactly what you're saying, which is to to reinforce a certain type of play, a certain type of genre. Uh, and now that's all I love. Um, my interest in generic systems has gone away completely just because I've fallen in love with systems that support play uh, and the type of play you're going. But um, I have this conversation with people. And when you say that, I understand exactly what you mean. And what I just said back to you, you understood exactly what I mean. But there's times where I have this conversation and someone's like, well, what does that mean? So do you have an example? Can you think of a game? or a mechanic or a system that you think would be a good way to explain it to somebody to say, okay, here's what I mean. Here's a game that supports a certain type of play. And here's how. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like most definitely. I think that like we, we have this, this group of friends, which, uh, with which we, we often play games. We've played like a bunch of different things. And I think that like one of the first time that it clicked at our table was when we played 10 candles. Because oh. this was what this was an experience that we had never um, like 
we had played a bunch of different games and those games reinforced different themes, but this was something else. This yeah. was like, this was something that we did not anticipate. And also our GM at the time, like he, he did a fantastic job for the entire session. And like, it was, it was creepy and we embraced everything. We embraced the end, we embraced the experience. And it was one of the most fantastic RPG sessions that I had ever played. But yeah, like I think if, if you want to talk about games that reinforce themes, this one did it perfectly right. Could not agree more. My first exposure to 10 candles is I brought it out camping. Oh, and RP, it was incredible. Like it was just it was brand new for all of us. I got to run the game. We're in the middle of the woods. We have the candles out there and we had we had an experience. Um, not only did we have fun. So now what do so we explain that to somebody RP and now we say, OK, and he, this is what we mean by it. Right. So what is it in 10 candles? So what's the theme? And what is what is it in 10 candles that reinforces that theme? Well, like, I think it's like less is more, right? Like mm. you, you, you can add a bunch of things to a game, but if it's not needed, why do you have it? Right? Like there's no rules for combat in 10 candles. There's no rule for harmer. There's no, there's no like rules for like, I don't know, like even like managing relationships or whatever. It's all about the survival and it's all about the aura and creating this sense of like, of going from like a very precarious situation and just going downhill from there. And, and even, and that's, what's cool about the game is that the dice are actually telling you that as you play, you have less dice in your pool and you have less chance. You quickly understand that. Like the first time the GM takes a dice out of the center of the table and it's like, this is mine now as a player, like, Oh no, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> I, I think it's great. Yeah. People often, when they talk about 10 candles, talk about the candles and, 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 and I say, yeah, that's definitely part of it. But I agree with you. It's the dice. It's the dice mechanic and the, your, your pool going away. And, and it's funny you say that because I think the first two times I took the dice away is when everybody just went, Oh, yeah. Okay. Now I know what we're doing. And then we had, we had a ton of fun. So that's great. So guys, the insider insight series allows me to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators, and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations. And that's exactly what we're going to do with RP today. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about charge and breathless. We'll be right back. Oh, uh, hey, it's me. Um, I'm interrupting this episode and I hope you're enjoying it. And I bet you're anxious to hear the rest. But before we jump back, I need a favor. Do you know someone who might enjoy this episode? Can you shoot them a quick message or maybe even send them a link to it? Listeners sharing this podcast was the primary reason we almost doubled our audience last year. Also, would you like to see and hear these games in action? Go to the Third Floor Wars YouTube channel and Twitch stream. Our actual plays combine compelling role-playing, character-driven action, and system tutorials. We create great stories while lifting the hood and showcasing the game mechanics. Links to both are in the show notes. Okay, last thing, and I mean it. Have you rated this podcast on your pod platform yet? Maybe even written a short review? It is a simple way for you to be even more awesome than you already are. Okay, now I'm done. Let's jump back and listen to the rest of this episode.
I think Breathless was the f- my first encounter with your designs. Um, but that wasn't the first thing that you had made. So one of the, one of your earliest designs is charged. So I think probably it makes sense for us to start there, RP. So um, let's give people context real quick. So can we give everybody listening an idea of what charge is? Right. Yeah. So um, charge is a generic system. We talked about generic systems and but like and how much I hate wait, them. Wait, yeah. Like, <laughs> wait, give me a second. <laughs> Thanks for coming out, RP. It was great having you. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So it is a generic system, but it is made to to um, to create this feeling. It is made for action-packed adventures. It isn't like it is made for things that you will not be. Well, you can technically make cozy, cozy things with charge or whatever, but it is very, very much something that is created for something that's over the top and very action driven. So it is a game system that is a fork of the forged in the dark system. Ah. So it, it takes some of its roots from there. And technically if you, you, it has an open license, it is free. It is open license under the CCBI creative common license. And technically, if you want to make a game powered by charge, you also have to take the license from Blades in the Dark as well, because it shares some of its mechanics and some of its rules and some of its texts. Where it differs, though, is that, first of all, yeah, it is generic. And the other thing is that, yeah, like it, it is less about scoundrels trying to do everything like, well, taking a lot of stress and dealing with their traumas in the cursed city. It is not about that. It is about you creating your own setting a bit like in faith and playing with your friends and creating a very like action driven experience. And, uh, and there are a couple of ways mechanically that the game reinforces those, those, uh, those themes, but basically the TLDR version of it is this. Okay, perfect. So now we're at the end, right? So now we understand what charge is the purpose of charge, the type of play that charge is built to reinforce. We're going to forget all that. We're going to go all the way back to before charge existed. So at some point, this thing was not even on your radar. You had no, the, your path, you hadn't taken that first step. And I'm always interested to know what pushed you to make that first step. At what point did, if you had to now go backwards and look, because you probably had no idea what it, when it was happening, but when you go backwards and look, where was the acorn? Where was the very beginning of charge? Um. So during the day, I'm a software engineer. Um, and one of the things that we do often is a thing called retrospectives. And mm-hmm. you, you see that sometimes like in, in TTRPGs as well, like stars and wishes, stars and wishes and things like that. So I often do that with my players after a session. What did you like? What did, what would you have hoped would have happened and things like that? And one thing that kept happening as we were playing with my friends is like they, they felt like when we were playing Fate, there was a lot of like, aspect management was becoming mm. cumbersome for us. We, we had a lot of trouble keeping track of all those aspects. And especially we, we were playing a lot of uh, online and it was, uh, it was becoming difficult. So uh, at, at that time, I was reading Blades in the Dark and I was like, well, maybe there are some ways where perhaps we could act this and make it make a generic version of it that we could use because I was playing in a sci-fi campaign. I was playing in the Avatar, the last Airbender inspired uh, setting. So we, we, we needed that generic system and I, that didn't exist. So I was like, well, I've dabbled a bit with here and there with game mechanics. Maybe I can try. So I 
started a, a new Google Doc or Notion document and whatever and started writing a couple of things. And then I started play testing them. With what were those friends. couple things, RP? What was the first couple sentences, the first couple North Stars you wrote down? Um, I think I think the first couple of things were about like what I wanted from the game. It was like the, I didn't even want to talk about mechanics. I was like, OK, this is what I want. I want something that I can create characters for any settings. I want it to be extremely focused on like what the characters are doing. And I want everyone to be able to pick it up and play it easily because I don't want to be bothered with mechanics. I don't want it to be crunchy. I wanted to like, how can we always come back to the fiction? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those were those were the the first couple of things. And then the the other one was like, well, like initially charge was supposed to be basically a mix between fate and charge and darks. And at some point I kicked fate out of the equation and it just became like something forged in the dark, but generic and action driven. So then started designing uh, the. The, the different actions that you could use because in Blades and Thar there are 12 actions. I was like, well, the first step is to change those to make it more right. generic. So I started doing that. And at the time I was playing um, the Spider-Man game on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, the Marvel Spider-Man. And as I was playing, there was there was like this click in my head because in the, in the video game, when you fight, you take hits and your hits reduces your health. But then... Um, the only way for you to get your health back is to use your focus. You drain your focus and then you get more health. But the only way for you to get focus is to get back into the action and punch some villains. So I was like, this is cool because it forces players to take risk. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, like you will not be even if you have like 10% health left, you need to go back into the action. So this is where the core of charge uh, started, where there's this thing called momentum. And when you make actions, if you get like a four or five or six, you get momentum. And that momentum you can burn to assist allies, push yourself or even resist consequences. But the only way for you to get that momentum is to make rolls. So you need right. to always get back into the action to be able to get that. And this was like, this was like the first core idea. This is, this is where charge became its own thing, basically. So I would imagine you're looking at, you know, Forged in the Dark and Blades in the Dark, obviously, and you start stripping things away. You start reskinning things, right, which is very common when you start hacking. Was you adding this momentum mechanic a matter of seeing it in Spider-Man and going, I bet that would work at the table? Or you identifying a problem and then this appeared as the solution? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. Um, at that point, I I don't think I had actually played Charge yet. Like, so it was very much like I saw this in a media, and I think it can work at the table. Got so it. then I I took it and wrote it down, and then we tested it. And the first feedback I got was like, "I want more. I want more of that momentum." And like immediately, I saw things click. I was like, "Okay, from there, I can use that momentum and." build a bunch of things, a bunch of other mechanics that will surround it. So, yeah. So if I'm very familiar with playing Forge in the Dark's games and I start playing Charge, what is going to be cozy for me? What am I going to be super familiar with? Because it really didn't change that much. What will be familiar? 
obviously the actions, right? Like there are there are twelve actions like in, in charge. There's a condensed version of charge called dash, uh, which strips it down to six actions. But basically, actions are going to feel very familiar. Uh, the core resolution mechanic is the same, right? You roll a pool of dice, and like four plus four or five is a success. Six six uh, six plus is like a, a six, an extreme success. Sorry, four or five success at a cost. Six is success, and then one three is like uh, the consequences. But um, yeah, so that's going to feel very familiar. Then clocks, clocks uh, everywhere, like also are going to feel very familiar. Um, where it's going to differ is basically yeah, the momentum mechanic, uh, the way you resist consequences has also been adapted. So instead of like um, rolling a dice using like a certain a certain of your um, attributes when you want to resist consequences you actually build a pool of dice by burning one momentum for each dice so if you have three momentum you could burn for example two that gives you two dice and then you roll that and that tells you how much like gotcha. stress you able to absorb so there's a couple of like things like that but in general the core resolution mechanics clocks for handling everything that's related to like uh, challenges or even in impending danger, that's going to feel very familiar. And then the game uh, has other things uh, to be able to uh, support other other um, mechanics. But yeah, like this, this, uh, this core part is pretty much the same. So, you know, when I play Blaze in the Dark, the GM side of things is very structured, right? So you have factions, the world is very structured. Um, and and a lot of Forge in the Dark games carry that with them, right? That idea of there's different factions. Every faction is trying to do its own thing. Your players are the agents of chaos that are in there, uh, you know, disrupting everything. Did you bring that over as well in charge? That kind of structure? No, not at all. So like yeah. this mostly mostly because like because of the kind of games I was playing with my friends, right? Like we were in very sandboxy kind of games where players could actually do anything. So uh, this this faction system, while super interesting, especially for the setting of Blades in the Dark, didn't really work out for us. Or even the crew sheet in general, like in charge, there's no concept of like having like a character sheet for the group, right? So so instead, uh, the game um, gives you gives tools to the player and the GM to create uh, what uh, I call world forces. So mm. it's like a it's like a a framework for you to be able to create. Uh, specific factions in the world and those this framework will guide you in creating what's their drive what's their goal and what like how will they try to achieve that and then you're able to track those uh those goals using clocks and that you can basically see the whole world and as as a bunch of like names and aspects and clocks and they just keep thinking as you explore them so you're like this small thing trying to do good or like and and then you see how big the world is and how other things are interacting as you're trying to do this whole thing in this little village. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Now, it's one thing for you to run a game of charge at the table. Uh, it's another thing for you to be at the table while somebody else is running charge. Do you remember some of the first times where you, your kid ran away from home and charge was just out there in the wild being played without you anywhere near it and coming back and getting feedback from that. Do you remember what that, what that was like? This is interesting because I'm not sure I've ever seen, ever seen like, um, 
uh, an actual play of charge like that was streamed or anything i have the impression that like or maybe maybe i just wasn't like noticed or tagged or anything on twitter but i have the the impression that people tend to like play this thing in their in in their with their own group mm-hmm. but uh one of the um, when i saw the baby basically like run away the kid run away from home was when i started talking about charge on my discord server because i i, I have created a virtual an open source virtual tabletop called Fari app and that's actually like how i got known a bit in this in this hobby and i had this discord server with a couple of hundred people and that were like 800 or something wow and yeah it's it's very big and it's amazing but at some point, people people were there only for the virtual tabletop. And mm-hmm. then I started talking about charge. I'm like, I got this thing. I think it's cool. Is there anybody who wants to read it? And then this is where it got away. This is where people were like, okay, this is cool. And I'm going to give you feedback. And this is where I decided that the game is not only free and open license, but also welcomes outside contribution. So right. I took the entire game and put it on a, on a website uh, that I've rebranded Fari community in the recent weeks. And now people can actually, like, they go there and if they see a typo, if they want to tweak a mechanic or whatever, they can suggest changes to the core system. And then we have like a bunch of core maintainers, like an open source software that will look at the proposed changes and say, okay, this is cool or this is not. Now the game is very much stable, but in the early like six, sure. six months, it changed a lot. Like the, there's a bunch of mechanics that got like removed and re-added and then community built a bunch of extra uh, mechanics on top of it. And this is where, this is where the kid ran away. I was like, yeah. this is it. Charge isn't mine. I, I like this is one thing that I say often. It isn't mine. It is part of a community now. And this is fantastic. That is fantastic. All right. So here's the, here's the tough question. Here comes the hard hitting questions. <laughs> as that feedback was coming in, as suggestions were coming in, um, what made you really mad? And, and the reason it made you really mad is you're mad you didn't think of it. So think about what is something that someone said, Hey, how about this? And you're like, son of a bitch. (laughs) Why didn't I think of that? Um, I think, I think that like, um, mechanically I still, I had like this very, uh, uh, core vision of what I wanted the game to be. So things didn't change that much unless I had like this, this reveal or whatever, or I took like, I took a lot of feedback and then I was like, okay, I'm going to go offline for three days and now I'm going to come back and I'm going to pitch this and get your ideas. I think that like most of the time I was like, Oh no, why did you think of this? This is fantastic. Was about wording because oh, how so? I'm well, like, uh, English is my second language. I am French Canadian. French is my main language. So sometimes I have things in my head that I'm trying to explain and they don't often come out good. Sure. <laughs> so a lot of the time I was trying to explain things and people were like, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. And like, I, I don't know where this is going. And I'm like, okay, clearly the problem is me. I'm not explaining things properly. So how can we fix this and the community has always been amazing like okay so here's a proposed sentence here's a proposed revision and this is this is where the game got solidified is with with the help of everyone trying to like help me write better english (laughs) (laughs) well so let's stay with that then rp because that's interesting to me because this is something i think is often overlooked um and and this is a this is a challenge for english speakers writing in english let alone uh, someone who's, you know, French speaking as a second language, trying to create an English. 
And that is how do you frame things, right? And it kind of ties to my question about you not being at the table because ultimately you're going to want your text to be able to be stand on its own, right? And you want to be able to frame this so that you're not there. You don't have to go, well, think about this too while you're doing this, right? You're not there to help help bolster the game. So can you think of um, a, a reframing that was given to you that really made a ton of sense and you think was, was significant as far as people being able to understand what charges. Mm. In terms of like a particular, particular moment or sentence, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure I could remember. As I said, I've got a really bad memory. <laughs> That's okay. But, how, but, but I guess what I'm wondering is, and the, and the answer might be correct. That didn't happen. Right. But was there, was there like at a conceptual level? And I don't mean just grammatical, mm-hmm. right? Like where somebody reframed one of your mechanics or how you were trying to get an idea across in the writing. And someone said, Hey, why don't you try to do it this way? And you're like, oh, right. Yeah, that's the angle I should go or that's the way I should approach it. Did, did that happen at all in the process? Oh, yeah. I, I think I think that like uh, one of the most prob- problematic aspect of charge was getting uh, you being able to resist consequences right. Because in Blades in the Dark, this mechanic was like, well, you, you roll a die and then depending on the result of that die, which depends on your attributes, you're going to take stress and stress right. creates trauma and then it creates this old loop, right? And I know I couldn't take this in the game. I needed something different. So I started acting like the the the, the resistance mechanic in, in Blades of the Dark. I don't, I, it's not the right name, but um, when I started like tweaking with it, I had a lot of trouble, mm. like just trying to get it right. Everything I was trying just didn't work out. And then, and and I then uh, someone in the community suggested, like, well, I think we should tie it back to momentum. Interesting. Like, it it needs to go back to this, right? Everything, everything in the game ties back to this. That's how you help people. That's how you you're able to push yourself. That's also how you should be able to resist. I'm like, well, how how would you do so? And this is where this is where it clicked. Where I basically went away for three days and then came back. (laughs) I'm like, okay. What if it's kind of like a push your luck mechanic where you burn as much momentum as you want from the get go, and this will tell you how much die, how much, how many dice you will roll, and then from there tell you how much you're able to resist from that incoming danger that's coming your way. So this, like, this is a part that I just couldn't get right. That's I just so like cool. I had so much trouble getting that right, and this is this is like people helping me and telling me I think that's a problem. And this is what I love most about like working with people. It's not like telling other people solutions is not as important as telling people where the problems are. I've heard that. Yeah. Right. Like once, like, because solutions, it's easy to get them wrong because sometimes you don't have the whole picture about where you want things to go. But if you say, this is problematic, I'm not sure exactly why, but this needs to be changed. This is where like the feedback gets very interesting. And then this is where I think you can iterate. Yeah. And I've heard that from so many creators, RP, where they say, you know, listen, take when someone says something's wrong in your game, they're right. Something's wrong and you need to listen to it. When they start telling you how to fix it, stop listening. (laughs) And for the reason that you just explained, which is they don't have your vision. They don't have your greater context and understanding. They don't have your context and greater understanding of the game. So I have heard that before. All right. So we've got charge out there. 
is open source uh, software, right? That's yeah. being that's being tweaked and built, a, 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 you know, in a, in a true open source way, which I think is really really neat, especially how you pulled in a software development structure to handle that. Um, and because I come from software too, so I was like, oh yeah, that, that makes total sense to me. Um, now. We're going to do the same thing with Breathless, but I don't want to talk about what Breathless is. Let's talk about the beginning. So when when did Breathless start to make noises in your head? Where where did it start? Um, Breathless, interestingly enough, didn't start with a concept. It started with a mechanic. Oh, how so? So um, I was I was. Uh, my wife had given me like a, a notebook, just a plain notebook for Christmas with a pen. It's like, hey, sometimes it's good. You just like, don't look at your phone. Don't look at a screen. Take a notebook and write things down when you're when you're upstairs and you're like just chilling. I'm like, this is cool. I'm going to try it out. So uh, I took this this notebook and I just was writing a bunch of gibberish on it. And especially like I was designing extras for chart at that time. So I was writing a bunch of extras on this. And then I uh, was uh, starting to expand my horizon in, in TTRPG mechanics in general. And then I started to play around with polyhedral dice, which I hadn't played a lot with because I came from Fate and then Blaze in the Dark. So a bunch of D6s, but with different symbols, basically. <laughs> and the la- last time you had poly- polyhedrals, someone tied you up and killed you. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, was, I was a bit traumatized. Exactly. <laughs> they were in the jail. I didn't want to talk to them. <laughs> Um, so, so I was, uh, I was uh, playing around with polyhedral dice and then I, I still have that piece of paper somewhere in my house where I was like, oh, it'd be cool if like every time you use a dice, that dice steps down. So you use a Mm -hmm. D12, it goes to D10, D8, D6, D4. And then I was like, okay, but how do you get it up? How do you reset it? And then like my fate brain that was still very fine tuned to, to the fate ecosystem in general, I, I, I said, well, how about this? Every time someone tries to reset their die, they, the GM has to throw a new consequence at the scene. I was like, this is cool. Okay. So the, the like characters of skills, skills go down every time they use and they, they become basically more breathless mm-hmm. and they're more tired. And the only way for them to catch their breath, which is a mechanic in the game, is to tell the GM, okay, I'm catching my breath. And then the GM is like, oh, okay. All right. This is cool. <laughs> this is cool. You can catch your breath. And, um, and one of the, one of the, I, I love video games in general. And I was playing the last of us remastered uh, at the time. So I was very much in a zombie focus. So I was like, well, this would make for a perfect zombie game, sure. like especially for survival, like you're getting more tired. And then like you, you also have this, this moment in uh, movies often where players will, well, not players, sorry, the, the, the actors would like get more and more tired in the fight or whatever. And then they try to, they, they think that they have the upper end. And then something bigger, something wronger arrives. There's like this always this moment, and like I think this this catch your breath mechanic was like tried to to reinforce this thing of like, okay, I think we're done with the zombies in the room. And then there's something that bangs on the door. Like, right. Oh no, oh no. <laughs> 
So it started like that. It started as a mechanic, and then uh, there was this um, convention in the in the Quebec province called the Draconis uh, Draconis Festival, which is like a, the biggest TTRPG festival in the in the province. And they had like this game jam where you were supposed to make a game on a single sheet of paper. You had two weeks. I was like, okay, well, like I can I can try it out. And also because I'm from a software background, I didn't know anything about layout in general everything i did for charge was always web-based i always deployed websites to be able to like make my games and i was like i think i need to learn so i i'd done a couple of like side projects but this was like one of the first thing that i made i was like this actually doesn't look bad So you've got this mechanic um you've got this sense of a dice chain you know because you know there's dice chains all over the place right and and you know uh savage worlds has it dcc is built around it right but it's interesting to me in breathless because it's not like if you roll this then it goes down or if you get above this like it like if you're gonna do this you're gonna lose it you're you're gonna take a step down which is which really reinforces play which is what we talked about at the very beginning here when when does the theme start to form Right. So now you've you've got a sense, you've got a feeling, you've got a mechanic. When do you start putting the blanket around it? Yeah, like it was really because I I was like uh, watching a bunch of old zombie movies. I was like playing The Last of Us, like with my wife, who were like buying a bunch of like uh, classic zombie movies from Romero and things like that. And we're like, okay, like my brain was all around survival. And so this is this is where like the team started to form but also the theme on breathless like the like breathless is a pamphlet right it's a single mm-hmm. sheet of paper you've got the cover you've got the rules and on the back side you've got the character sheet so there's not a lot of space for setting i think the setting is basically two or three sentences in right. the whole pamphlet and the rest is just mechanics so um so yeah like it all started to to form as i like when i came up with the mechanic i was like there's only one thing that will fit this and it's survival. Like you, you, you need to get more breathless. You need to like, you're losing control. And when you think you have it and you reset all your skill, then something worse comes in. Like this isn't like, it is not tragic, but it is most certainly harsh every single step of the way, which is a very dramatic change from like, um charge where like you want to do checks you want to do those actions because you're going to get momentum in breathless when you roll things are going to go wrong like if even if you succeed you've just lost like one step on your die when did you when did you know it was all coming together um so one of the things that i always find fascinating when i talk to creators and they talk about creating something like breathless that you know they say you know i was working with this and i had all these pieces and it was kind of coming together coming together and then it clicked then i knew it was complete and it was ready. Was there a point in the iteration process as you were working through this where you just went, okay, this is it. Like I'm done. Right. You might have to sand a few corners, but you knew that you had a complete game. Um, yeah. And this, this one might seem kind of obvious, but I just didn't have enough space. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. That's legit. That's legit. You ran out of page. Yeah, there is just like no more space and like every single word counted. I cannot say how many times I reworded things just to make them fit to the layout. Even rolling tables, I'm like, okay, I'm going to write flamethrower 
oh no, that doesn't fit. It's too big of a word and I needed to change it for something else. So, uh, so yeah, like this is where I was like, I'm done because I have no more space. All right. So here, here's the question then RP, if you did not have that constraint, right? So let's go back in time and let's say that it was a five page jam. (laughs) How different would breathless be? Or was it critical for, for the game ultimately to be one page? I think, I think it was critical for it to be one page because, um, because as I said, English is not my first language. So for me, writing things in a condensed way has become a strength for me because like, like I, I don't have the tendency to write long sentences and I love making condensed games because I can really focus on like what I want to say and every single word count. So, and that's also has become a, a preference now for me. I don't have like the, I, I don't like reading long games anymore. I like when things are short and sweet and like, this is how I read now and this is how I design. So when I design mechanics, I can be like almost technically focused. It is like writing like a technical documentation for my day job. But now I'm like, no, I'm explaining mechanics now, not, not how to install a program or something. So this is, uh, I think this was crucial, not just for Breathless, but also for me as a designer to realize what are my strengths and what were my weaknesses. Because this is still something that I'm working personally as a designer to be able to expand on on things in general, like writing lore and like a, a very rich setting is still something that is hard for me because it is not as easy for me to write in English as it is for, for others. So when writing mechanics, it felt like, well, it, it is similar a bit to what I do sometimes in my day job. So that's where that's exactly where I was headed. Go keep going. <laughs> so so yeah like this this has helped me this like it is similar to what i do sometimes in my day job writing technical documentation be, be, being very clear because if i make an error in my documentation that person is going to come back to me and ask me clarity and i don't want that i want things to be yep. as clear and accessible as possible so um so so yeah i think it was crucial for that game to be to be short Yep. Yep. And I think it's neat that 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 design constraint has helped you creatively. And the reason I was hoping we'd come back to what you do during your day job is um, I haven't written code in 20 some odd years. Right. Um, The languages I wrote in don't exist anymore. But um, I do work with a lot of developers in my work. And one of the things that I that I don't miss coding, um, but one of the things that I find joy in still when I'm working with my developers and they show me a way that they turned 30, 40 routines or lines of code into just one elegant thing. And I mean, it's such a beautiful thing. And the same is true in documentation, right? Where suddenly you're able to take two pages and turn it into a half a page. Um, and, And it's interesting that that's the world you come from and that now you've, you know, you have found joy in having those same types of constraints, uh, in, in the design process is, do you think that's the only only way I would find your day job fingerprints in your designs? Or do you think there's other things about what you do professionally that I could, I could find if I go through your games? So, right. If I know RP and I know what RP does on it during the day, now I grab a bunch of your games and go through and go, ah, I bet you that is influenced by his day job. Uh, yeah, I think there are two things. Um, one, uh, one of the things is like, I like to make things, um, 
it's easier to make things complicated than it is to make things simple. Yeah. So like sometimes, well, like most of my games always rely on like something that is very core and it's like, okay, how can I make this less complicated? How can I make it easier to teach? So mm -hmm. this is, this is a theme that often like, uh, that is true for code as well, because like it's yeah. so easy to over engineer things like <laughs> honestly it is. And then people, and then people are not able to maintain your software anymore because you decided to be all, you decided to be smart. You don't need to be smart. You need to write dumb code because dumb code is readable. And it's the same thing for TTRPG mechanics. Don't try to be clever. Just, just make it accessible and easy for people to, 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 to use. And then the other thing, and this one is a little bit more hidden, but I, well, like I balance is a tricky concept in TTRPGs in general because technically balance is, is just pacing. Right. And yeah. it's all about, it's all about the table. Right. So like if, if the GM decides to pace things differently, that's basically the balance of the whole game. Yes, there are numbers, but the numbers are not as significant as what is happening in, in the, in the fiction. But this, this pay, the balance of the pacing, I think is important. How things like, for example, if we, if we go back to breathless, like how fast those dice, those die are going to step down. If we go back to like a uh, 10 candles, how fast those candles are going to like uh, go extinguished. So this pacing balance, I think is important. And one thing that you're not going to find in my game, but one thing that I do in my game is to, um, I run simulations of them. So I, mm. I write, uh, for example, uh, I wrote a breathless game called Nomadic, which is about, uh, inspired by No Man's Sky, where you, uh, it is a, a tragic game of exploration where you explore the new planets, trying to find a new home for mankind. Uh, ultimately you don't. Um, but, um, I wanted to get the pacing right and was like, okay, I don't want the player to die in the first three planets, but I don't want them to die in the first, like in, in, in at the 50th planet. I want right. to get that pacing right. So, uh, and that's, uh, even better for solo games. But what I did is I wrote a simulation of the entire mechanics of the games as a software. So I have like this terminal application that I've, all my systems are there and I'm like, I'm running unit tests for, for, for nomadic, for firelights, my other solo game, even breathless is in there. And then I make sure that the pacing is okay. So in, in firelights, it's a, it's a solo game of exploration. I was like, okay, I want to test the core mechanics. I want to test the combat. I want to test that. And all of those are specific software routines, basically that I'm running. And I'm like, those numbers, I'm not satisfied with them. And I'm going That's to tweak cool. them in the app before I'm writing them on paper. That is really cool. That is really, really cool. And the, I like your, I like your, the way that you framed balance and, and pacing. Um, I think that's, I think it's a connection. I don't know if I had ever made before, but as soon as you said it out loud, I'm like, of course that makes total sense to me. And by doing that, and being able to play 7,000 games of Breathless inside the app really can give you some solid information and really put it to task. Yeah. And it, it's, it's so, it's honestly a great tool. And like it's, it's able to, because sure, you can watch actual plays. Sure, you can play with your friends and playtesting is super important. But for things like that, sometimes you're able to do a bulk of the playtesting yourself and just be able to iterate extremely quickly because with just a change of a number you can see the percentage switch and you're like 
this was too fast, this was too slow. Right. So same thing for combat, right? Like in, in Stoneburner, we're going to get to that, but like in Stoneburner, there was a combat mechanic and there is none in Breathless and Stoneburner is a Breathless game. And I was like, I need to get this right. So I wrote a program to test the combat depending on how strong the players were and how strong the enemies were. That's so cool. Well, that turned out to be a phenomenal transition, my friend. So <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about Stoneburner. We'll be right back. This is Sean. You may have heard of me from such movies as Brett and Sean go to Illinois, two motorcycles, one stick of dynamite, and gaming and BS, what kind of RPG podcast is that? After my NFTs were stolen, I decided to become a patron of Third Floor Wars. The content is great and it costs me less than a good shot of liquor. So consider becoming a patron. It may just land you your next big role. Head over to patreon.com forward slash third floor wars. Tell Craig Sean sent you. So we understand Breathless, and now we want to talk about a Breathless game. So we're going to do the same thing again, my friend. Stoneburner doesn't exist. You've got this Breathless engine, for lack of a better word. What's next? Is there, I want to try this thematic and bring it in and apply it with Breathless? Or is it a situation where you go, I want a game that does this? And oh my God, look, here's Breathless sitting right over here. Let's use that. Can you give me an idea of how all of it comes to first starts coming together? Um, yeah. So um, I was starting to talk with uh, Galen Peugeot. He's uh, the illustrator on and collaborator and partner on, on Stoneburner now. But I had started to talk uh, with him about another project called Our Last Ten, which is a tragic tactical mech combat RPG that we're working on. This is a, which is also based on Breathless, and we uh, we're also partnering and collaborating on that other game. So we were chatting and interacting on the day to day, and we were following each other on Twitter. And then at some point, I uh, see him tweet uh, that uh, the new Dwarf Fortress soundtrack on Spotify sound is like fantastic. And if there's something that I love as much as uh, TTRPGs, it's video game soundtracks. Like I in another life, I like released uh, video game remixes on Spotify. And like, I love, I love video game soundtracks. I'm like, okay, perfect. I, I know what I'm going to listen today while I work. So, uh, I started, uh, listening to the, to the soundtrack and my brain never shuts up. It always spins. And as usual, as I'm consuming some sort of media, it's like, I guess there are TTRPGs out there about dwarves making a fortress or something like, I guess there's something. And then I, uh, started reading about uh, Mountain Home, which is a very cool Forged in the Dark uh, game about uh, dwarfs are making their home in a mountain. It's like very, very cool. And uh, and then I was like, okay, this is this is interesting. Like, how about like, I, I was trying to play with ideas in my head. And then I sent a voice message to uh, one of my very good friend, uh, Andrew Boyd. Uh, he uh, runs uh, Pendian Games. He makes very cool stuff. So I sent him a voice message. And I'm like, okay, how about this? You're you're a dwarf, and your great great uncle, very distant relatives, has just passed away, 
and you're one of his last surviving relatives, and he has just bequitted you uh, his cursed mine settlements, and you now have the settlement, and it is uh, connected to mines that are haunted by fire-spitting demons of the underworld. And like, what do you think? I, I say that to him. He's like, this sounds dope. <laughs> 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 so, um, so yeah, so this, it started like that. And then I started like, um, I was very, very deep working on our last and this other uh, mech based breathless game. I'm like, I'm going to take the same mechanics, just change the setting and try to do something with it. So I, start writing the thing, start playing with layout ideas. I take a screenshot, post it on Twitter. And then I have a uh, Galen reached out, it reaches out and he sends me fan art of a oh. game that isn't finished. And he's like, how cool is that? It was amazing. It was simply incredible. And he, he sends me those, those art pieces. And he's like, even if we don't work together on this game, I'm going to make art for this game because it, is so cool and i'm like well now we have to work together on this game so i've had i've had this talked about a couple times on the show and it really fascinates me is when your creativity inspires creativity in others right which is exactly what you just got done talking about um uh, i interviewed the uh the two women behind uh, thin places radio and that's how they connected is uh one made fan art for the other and it was just so impactful for them to see something they made inspire someone else to make things and i could see it in your face when you were saying like you got that piece of art and and it just is like wow like i mean it could be one of the greatest compliments you could get about as a creator i would think don't you oh yeah yeah. like most definitely like he they're there wasn't a, it was a very very strong feeling and this yeah. was like exactly when i said to him we we have we have to work together on this like well, i have to hire you and he was like no i think i think we can do something more i think we could partner together and i'm like this is a fantastic idea <laughs> that's really cool and and their art is incredible like the visual style the the stuff that you've shared on twitter um i'm very excited to see more of what comes out of cuz it, it um he has a very distinct style. Um, and for you to know that you are now inspiring each other, right? So now we see the, the cycle go through, right? So you get the fan art, which I'm sure impacts decision making and, and, and the feel and the tone of the game as you're going through it. But before I head in that direction, I do have to ask you a very important question because it kind of came up. Are you a member of the Dwarf Fortress cult that is out there? <laughs> the people who worship Dwarf Fortress. I need to know if you're a member or not. I I am not. I uh, okay. Because I... <laughs> it is, it's a real thing. <laughs> it is. Yeah, there's people. the The passion behind that game is unbelievable. So I had uh, 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 Tim Denae on the on the show, who's uh, uh, created some really really uh, exciting stuff, and he's got uh, a new Paragon game coming out. Um, and uh, he and I spent 30 minutes talking about Dwarf Fortress because <laughs> I I had somebody mention the game to me and they're like, Craig, you need to play this video game. I'm like, really? And like this somebody like who like usually like they're always spot on. Like if they tell me to go buy a board game, I just go buy it. Right. Like they just they know me. So I buy Dwarf Fortress and I, I start it up and I go, what the hell is this? <laughs> like, like. 
I made games like this on my Apple IIc. Like, what are you even talking about? And I spent like five minutes with it and bounced off of it. And then I found out, and this is part of how I found out about Tim. Tim created an entire like fan fiction comic um, and, and, and an entire like blog uh, talking about his Dwarf Fortress game. No way. And uh, like, and it was, a, again, creativity during creativity. I mean, if when you hear the interview, um, wait to hear the passion in his voice as he talks <laughs> about it. And I discovered this, like, this is a, this is one of those games that's super special. So I just need to figure out whether I'm de- dealing with another card carrying Dwarf Fortress fanatic <laughs> or not, <laughs> but it's neat. It's neat though, that, that, that the theme and concept of Dwarf Fortress obviously comes in through. So if I look at Breathless and I look at Stoneburner, and obviously we've got a different skin, but it's more than that. Right. So what else, what else, has changed from breathless to Stoneburner. Um, I think like one of the biggest challenge was to, to expand on something that was so small and so condensed, right? Because in Stoneburner, it is a sci fantasy game and there's, there's community building, right? You need to re re rebuild your settlement. There's uh demon hunting and fighting because it is also inspired a bit like, uh, by, by doom. So like mm-hmm. there's going to be combat. So, okay. I need, proper combat mechanics. I need like, I need something to reinforce community building. So there's a bunch of like things like that, that I had to, um, to, that we had to work on. And, um, there's also like, uh, things related to, uh, progression a progression system, because in breathless, this, this was made on a single sheet of paper. So there wasn't right. space to include a progression system. It was just like, well, maybe you'll survive the session. That was, that was basically it. That's your progression. You, you didn't die. Uh, so in Stoneburner, you're you're badass dwarves like trying to rebuild your settlement and rebuild your home, make this very harsh place that doesn't want you there, and make it your home, right? So there's this kind of like um, melancholic aspect of like, yeah, this is harsh, but like like we're between a rock and a hard place for literally, um, literally. <laughs> um, but we're gonna make it work. So yeah, like in terms of like mechanics this is where we had to make the system evolve and it took a bit of uh of tweaking especially because originally uh the mechanics were based on a mech game so the characters were very sturdy and they hit very hard because they were like based off like uh mechas but uh so Mm -hmm. we tweaked a bunch of things but yeah basically in in the game there's still the core breathless system but uh, where we changed things up is we added a, a specific system for handling looting that is uh, similar to Breathless, but where you go into the mines, you're going to fight some demons. So there's combat mechanics based on Breathless. And then you go out of the, you, you loot the mines for precious minerals and items. And then you go back to your settlement, you sell or salvage those items for credits and using those credits and pulling them as a group, you're able to buy new buildings that you're going to add to your settlement. So the progression kind of acts in two ways. Your character will progress through a thing that we call visions of glories. So the dwarves receive visions of glories from their ancestors about what the future might hold for them, which is actually just the players telling the GM, I think it'd be cool if this happened. Gm noting it down and then saying if it happens you upgrade level that's that's oh, that's, that's, cool. a, that's the vision of glory it's it's player driven so the players will grow they will uh, get uh their they'll increase their skills they'll get new uh, abilities and their classes which we call kits and but when you upgrade your settlement 
there's uh, another thing that happens is first of all, a lot of like the, the, the fiction gets upgraded because there are new things that are happening within this thing that started as small and is becoming more and more comfy and more and more like your home. But there's also this, uh, every single building as a group ability that you will be able to use as you continue to explore the mines. So, um, for example, like the things as simple as like the tavern allows you to make a single reroll per session because you will want to be able to tell those great stories when you get back there. Right. So a couple of things like that. And, but everything boils down because we talked about simplicity and trying to keep things accessible. Everything boils down to, Okay, so in Blades in the Dark, everything's a clock, right? Well, like right. In, in, in a lot of like Fortune in the Dark games, a lot of things come, comes down to you've got actions and you've got clocks. In Breathless uh, and in Stoneburner in particular, our philosophy was everything is a die that steps up or steps down. Long-term projects are dice that go from like D4 and you upgrade them and then eventually you make a roll and that's how your project ends up being. And for example, when you loot, you're, you have got a loot die that's going to step down and like everything is based around those things. Cool. And, um, the last thing that we're very, very proud about the game is, uh, how you will explore actually the mines because it is, uh, physically based. I don't know if that makes sense, but you, when you want to say, okay, we're going out of the settlement and we're going to explore the, the, the cold tunnels of the long belt. When you do that, the GM takes a bunch of dice and throws them on the table. The D20, D12, like all the way to the D4, a single one of them, and this just throws them out. And then there are mechanics in the game that tells you how to map what the tunnels look like based on the physical location of where the dice dropped on the table. So you group things up and like there's a barrier between this and this, and this is like uh, where we are. So the D20 is like your starting point, and then all the other things are point of interest. And then you map the number of those point of interest unrolling tables to generate what the mines look like dynamically at every time you explore. Where the hell did that idea come from? <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give credits to where it is due. So um I, the black hack has this this concept. Uh, it is an OSR game and it has this concept of using the dice physical location and throwing them on a piece of paper and using those those locations to uh, generate things. So it is something that Galen actually suggested. Like you should look into that because it could be mm-hmm. cool. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna look into that. So we're um, so we I I basically approached this as like we want something to dynamically generate the mines, but it would be nice if it would be based on the physical world. But then, like, how can we go back to Breathless? How can we go right. back to all those dice? So it's like, okay, well, let's just throw all of them and use all their different locations as points of interest. So the D20 is a random event that happens in the while you explore, and all the other things are like, well, this is like a there's a uh, an infestation of some creature that have made their nest in this point. And this is like an old mining facility that's turned off. And there are mining robots that are like running Evoc in the mine. And like, oh, those so are all cool. generated dynamically. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So what, what condition is Stoneburner right now? Um, is it baked? Is it done? Is it still work in progress? Are we sanding corners? Where are we? Uh, it is, it is in very good shape. 
So yeah. um, everything, like uh, all the mechanics are written down. The layout is very advanced. Most of the art in there. And what where we are right now is we just want to make it better. We want to add more things. So we've got like a couple of like uh, sectors, uh, like basically rolling tables for you to generate the mines and all that. We've got a couple of those, but we want to add more of them. We want to add more like GM guidelines. We the, This game is also solo friendly. So solo play was one of the first thing that we wanted from the get-go. So we wanted it to be uh, extremely accessible. So we want to take the time to properly write solo guidelines and everything is written from the perspective of the, of the players. So that way it is solo friendly in the rules, but we want to make some tweaks so that it is even more friendlier. Um, so yeah, in, in terms like I, I'm a pessimist uh, person in general on, on, on that particular front of my life, but I'd say like 70, 80% of the game is pretty much uh, done even in layout. But in, like we want to take the, the last stretch to just make it even awesome. And this, and often that can be the hardest one, right? Where it, where it takes the most time. How are you going to know when you're done? How are you going to know when you're going to not type anymore? You're not going to draw anymore. You're done. How, how do you know? <laughs> look, look at look at you. I don't I don't have the restriction of a one pager anymore. I'm like, what am <laughs> right. I going to do? <laughs> like, how how are you going to stop? And how are you going to know when to stop? Um. Yeah, I I think I think that's going to come down to the community at that point. Like I think like as we because the project's gonna go uh is gonna launch on Kickstarter on April eleventh. And mm-hmm. when as as the game launches, we want to get like a preview version, a beta version in the ends of the backers as soon as possible. And we want people to play it. And based on their feedback, I think that like at some point we will know there's enough stuff to experience something great. Like, for example, like if someone comes in and is like, oh, I didn't really know what to do at this point or at this point, I'm like, okay, we're going to add more content. We're going to add more sectors, more rolling tables to trigger inspiration. Right. So I think like when we, when we get a couple of like feedback of people saying we had a ton of fun, this is where I think we're going to say, okay, I, I think, I think we can wrap this thing out. Very cool. So we're recording this before the 11th, right? But we're releasing it in conjunction with the Kickstarter. So let's do a little bit of pl- plugging on the Kickstarter. Everybody already knows that they're listening. They can scroll down. They can click the link and it'll take them directly there. When does the Kickstarter end? Uh, it ends 30 days after after launch. So I, have, I actually haven't looked at my calendar. So because early Kickstarter. to mid-May? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So so everybody listening, that's how much time you've got left. Um, and we're releasing this relatively early in the Kickstarter. So hopefully you have time. Now, there's also a possibility that someone's listening and it's way past mid-May. So what's the plan for people that uh, maybe didn't get a chance and didn't listen to this until the Kickstarter was over? What's the game plan um, after you fulfill the Kickstarter? Right. So our our timeline is that, well, when the Kickstarter launches, we're going to launch a free preview of the game that's going to include like a couple of things that will basically, it's going to include all the mechanics, uh, like one of the classes of the game, like one of the sector and a bunch of like previews for a bunch of things. So you'll be able to like grasp what this whole thing is about. Um, but once this wraps out, I still need to figure out the technicality of it, but I would like to be able to allow people to make late pledges, but I still haven't looked properly into it. Mm-hmm. As for the, the timeline in general, again, we want to be pessimistic because uh, it is my first, it is not my first crowdfunding campaign, but it will be my first uh, Kickstarter. 
and it is uh, also going to be like the first time that I'll be uh, like printing possibly hundreds of books that will need to ship to hundreds of people. Thousands, also- but keep going. <laughs> crossing finger um but so so yeah so to, to be a, thing. yeah it's a it's a complete other thing so what yeah. we'll what we want to do is like we want to wrap things out in the summer and we would like everyone to have their ends on the book in q4 of this year that's, that's our plan and like what's uh what's uh amazing is that we're partnering actually with uh indie press revolution to handle everything that's going to be related to uh, distribution. So we're going to print the they're books. Great. They're fantastic. Oh, they're, they're really, great. Really they're great. Like, well, they're, they're one of those companies that I'm so glad they exist. Um, yeah. My wallet is not real crazy. The fact <laughs> that they exist, but um, yeah, the, the, I really enjoy them as a vendor. Every experience I've had with them is fantastic. And it makes me really happy to know that they're involved with this because that in my mind greatly increases the chances of you successfully having a timeline and, and executing on it because they, they know what they're doing. Um, I'm constantly impressed by their work. Yeah. And they're, they're so friendly too. Like I'm actually like uh, printing an, another game that I've uh, released called Opes and dreams. And I'm uh, planning to ship uh, a couple of like uh, copies to them and all through all the steps of, of development of take, taking this thing and printing it. Like they've always been like uh, amazing people to talk to and super yeah. helpful. So yeah, like I, I I feel lucky we're able to work with them with this, and I feel confident though, like even more confident that we'll be able to do yeah. something great. Yeah, no, they know what they're doing. That that that's um that's fantastic. All right, last little bit. So this last little bit RP has become really one of uh, one of the more popular segments on the show, and I save it for last on purpose. And this is a situation where I where I'm finding it very interesting to discover for people who make things, what do they eat? Right. So what is is there anything out there, a book, a movie, a video game, something recently that you have become the consumer of something that has taken over your brain, taken over your life and you've become obsessed with? Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you know the the book series uh, Mistborn by Brandon no. Sanderson. No, I, you know what? No, I've never read that for Sanderson. Talk to me about it. It's it's really uh, really good. It's one of my friend, my friend who actually like talked to me about Blades in the Dark all those years ago. He was like, well, like when he was reading Blades in the Dark, he was reading this uh, trilogy of book, and there there's like uh, many many more books now in the in this series. But it's uh, it's very cool. It's uh, based around this uh, the concept of uh, they call it allomancy. So there are people who are able to drink uh, liquid metal, like for example, like liquid steel or whatever, and they drink it. And then in their body, they're able to burn it. And this gives them power. So some of them are able to push uh, on metal. So if you push a coin, that coin will go away. But if you push a door, that door is probably heavier to, than you. So you'll go away instead of you pushing that thing away. Mm-hmm. There are people who are able to it's all about push and pull. You can push on people emotion and riot them. You can pull on them and calm them and soothe them. So there are, there are all types of allomancers in this universe. And there uh, are people who are misborn, which are basically like the, the avatar who can do all the elements so they can drink all the metals and burn them all. And this is a very, um, it is about a group of rebels who want to overthrow uh, never living emperor who never dies, who is uh, incredibly powerful and very um, harsh on the population. So it's very much about uh, a story of uh, 
hopes and rebels who want to to they're basically a bunch of um, uh, rats from the gutters or like trying to do what they can to to change the world so it's a it's very well written and uh yeah very uh, i've i've read all the books and now i'm i'm eager to to read uh well i've read the trilogy and now i'm looking for more of uh the the same uh, kind of books from the same universe so when you look at that and the fact that you know that obviously had a huge impact on you um you know you've read you've read a lot of well-written books, right? Sanderson's not the only good author out there. Um, and I would imagine this is not your first fantasy um, or uh, internal um, magic system, right? With, with his own rules. What made it work for you, right? So what made this become your answer for me? Um, is there something that, there, is there an alchemy that happened when all of these things came together? Like when you look at it now and go, why did it, why did it hit so hard for you? Um, well, I think it, there are, there are two things like um, the the guy has a bunch of uh, he's made a bunch of videos on YouTube's about magic systems and I I really geeked out about this like he, he has like the the three rules of magic where like there there was like uh, the, the the concept of like well like magic can be interesting but it can also very much be a boring solution right. when magic is the solution and it's just like uh, it, it's just uh, applied for the sake of the plot, then it's not interesting. But when it resolves interesting problems in interesting ways, that's where it becomes cool. So this, this really like, uh, was something that I found, uh, interesting. The other thing is that it's written in a way that makes it accessible for me. Like mm. I've, I've read, um, I've, I've watched all the game of Thrones, like, uh, like the game of Thrones th- series by HBO. I've watched it. And when I, uh, at some point, my friends were like, "You should read the book." I'm like, "Okay, I'll try to read them," and it was too hard. Like yeah. the, the, the the kind of vocabulary that was used was just like too hard for me. And like I I could probably just read them in French, but I I just like bounced stuff to something else. And I yeah. think that like one thing that really helped with uh, Sanderson's writing is that it is still very thematic, evocative, and it's beautifully written. But it's also written in a way that I can enjoy. That's cool. That's cool. And the, and the and the style is something that's accessible to you. And it ties back to your writing style that we talked about from the very beginning. Um, RP, there's a lot of cool things to do on a Thursday night that doesn't involve <laughs> sitting here talking about games with me. So I can't thank you enough for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been it's been a total blast. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. And guys, you already know the routine. Scroll down. You need to follow him on Twitter. His Twitter links down below. The links to everything that we've talked about, especially the Kickstarter is down there as well. Um, you also made it through the whole thing. Like this is the end of the show. And I appreciate <laughs> you listening. Take care. episode subscribe to tabletop talk and share it with your friends check out our content on youtube and twitch follow us on twitter and facebook and stay updated on everything coming from third floor all the links are in the show notes take care floorheads Well done, sir. Perfect. Nice. Perfect. 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 How are you doing? Okay. Yeah. You know, this is this is going great. Also, like, first of all, I need to say I love your prefer- 
professionalism. This word, this word is hard, hard to say for a French Canadian, but <laughs> professionalism. <laughs> it's um, yeah, like I, I love that you sent me like the PDF sheet in advance. I love that like you're 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 making breaks so that we can take sips of water. This is <laughs> this is really cool. <laughs> I'm glad. Man. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, it um, it's funny you say that because um, for me it's just like how I always tried to do it right from the beginning when I started the podcast and as well as things like I figured everybody else does it that way and then I've started going out of their podcast I'm like oh no that like like I emailed them I'm like do we have topics we're gonna talk about like are we getting on Skype what are we doing you know, it's like, help a brother out I'd love to come on your show so so I've and tried to make minutes before you receive yeah, like exactly. a late and you're like I can't log in exactly and um like one of the reasons I I subscribe to Squadcast is it has the feature that allows my guests to go and tr like you can go and test your equipment and everything you know three weeks before the interview right um and it and it you know, and in the call sheet, I try to say, hey, look, here's what we're going to do. Here's what you need to do, you know, so on and so forth. The only thing that drives me nuts, though, is when after all of that energy in the call sheet, I have someone pop up on the screen and they don't have headphones. Oh, I'm no, like, no, no, I'm no, like no. how many times did I mention that in the call sheet? <laughs> <laughs> but if that's the worst thing that happens to me. It's OK. <laughs> no, no, but, it, but it's cool also because you take you take the time to like when I read the call sheet, I was like, OK, so Craig has taken the time to look at like some of my games and Craig. like I, I like and, and like knowing about like what we're going to talk about. And this this shows. Yeah, like it shows it shows professionalism. That's something I respect. That makes me really happy, RP. Thank you. That makes me really happy. <laughs> All right. I'm going to bring us back. What I'll do um, is I'll probably start by asking you to kind of give us a quick few sentences as an overview of charge. And what I want to do is I want to give context to the listener and then we're going to go backwards. Right. And then we're going to go from the beginning and go through the process of making charge. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. All right. I'll bring us back. Oh, very cool. Very, very cool. One of the things, RP, that I always try to dig and try to find. I mean, I've had, you know, 200 some odd guests now. Right. And always tr and everybody's unique. And I always try to find that little nugget. I just found it with you and it makes me super happy. <laughs> super happy. Something that I had not heard before, which I really love. So thank you for being so generous. That was really cool. Of course. Yeah. Like, but, but it's true. Like everybody has a, has a different background yep. and it shows up in their game. Exactly. Like I was, uh, I was just listening to your interview with uh, Diogo um, mm -hmm. and like, just, just as like when he was explaining his, uh, his background in, in art and in design, I was like, yeah, this shows, this shows up, this totally shows up, which is something that I don't, right. I have nothing of an art background. I was a musician. Right. I'm st I still am, but like, oof, visual art is something else. Yeah. And what's really interesting about Diogo and I am, I wish, I wish I had played his games more before I had interviewed him because, um, I left some things on the table and I've already talked to Diogo. He'll come back. Um, because in <laughs> this, and you're exactly right. It's tied to him as an artist because there is, there's a beautiful, beautiful hidden elegance to his work that you don't see it when you read it. And honestly, I don't think you see it the first time you play it is the second or third sessions of every one of his games that I've played. I would step back and then for the first time, see the whole picture. Right. And, and it's, it's really incredible. And to be honest with Diogo, for me, like 
at first I didn't get it. Right. I kept hearing like this guy is like the real deal. This guy is a big deal, you know, in OSR and people are losing their minds over his games. And I'm like, all right, well, I'll go check it out. I bought like five or six of his games. And I'm reading through. I'm like, yeah, these are pretty cool. Like, I don't know what the big freaking deal is, but you know, these are, these are cool games and stuff. And I interviewed him and after interviewing him, I'm like, okay, there is something going on here, but I'll never forget it. Like third session of primal quest, um, which is that, uh, the dinosaur, right. So, uh, stone and sorcery. I'm like, you son of a gun, like yeah. you clever son of a gun. It was all hidden in there. So it's really cool. But yeah. Yeah. For me, it was you, with the mouse ridder. It's oh, a, same like, type I of read thing. That, like I've read that like a, oh, it must've been like a year ago. I was like, this is a cool game. Like, <laughs> it's, it's a cool game. And then I think I reread it like every two weeks. Now I'm like, okay, this is elegant. <laughs> yeah. He, um, he's clever. He's super clever, super, super clever. Um, yeah. 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 I've never played mouse Rudder, but I keep hearing like, I'm the same thing. I've read it. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Um, but I'm now I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do that on the table, uh, to get that same experience. All right. Yeah. I'm going to bring us back. Are you still here? Wow. Um, well, the episode is over, but if you're bored, why not go to patreon.com and support the show for as little as a dollar a month? Yeah, you can just scroll down. Scroll down and, yeah, get the link. It's Patreon that makes this and all of our other content possible. Don't you want to join the other floorheads on the Patreon Discord? Anyway... Thanks for sticking around. Take care. Bye.